0: Yeah, I think everybody's kind of on the same page, in that we are struck in Psalm 1 by the the stark contrast between these two paths of of righteousness and of sin, and of the very small margin for error, um, in that God's word doesn't seem to give us much kind of gray areas, you know, it's very black and white. And in the world, we see often a confusion a, a, a real confusion over definitions that in the past have been very clear, you know, and in God's word there just isn't that same blurring of boundaries. Things do seem very clear cut, and um, I, I think that uh, this for us is is an encouragement. It's scary because it means that our worldview is very different from the worldview that most people out in the world have, but I think it's encouraging to us that you know what it might be unpopular to stand on God's word but at least God's word isn't going to shift underneath you it's not going to change Uh, there's actually a famous quote in George Orwell's book 1984 which I read while I was away on holiday recently I'd never read it before and uh, this quote says freedom is freedom to say that two plus two equals four and in Orwell's dystopian nightmare of a world it was the party that decided what was true and they could change that truth whenever they pleased. So 2 plus 2 could equal 5 one day and 4 the next. And then 6 the next day. And the party could just change it up as they saw fit. There was no such thing as objective truth. And what, what speaks to me about this is that the freedom to say that the Bible is true is real freedom. That's real freedom. Because in, in our Bible, it says that God is God. God is not man. I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness just last night and they don't believe that. They believe that God is God, yes, but he became a God and that we can become gods. And the Bible just simply doesn't say that. It's very clear. God is God and his ways are higher than our ways. He's not like us. And also, sin is sin. Sin is sin. It's black and white. There's no margin for error. There's no gray areas the Bible's very clear on particularly sexual sin and what that is and in a world where these boundaries are constantly getting challenged the Bible remains very clear it says a woman is a woman and a man is a man Genesis 1:27. God made them in his own image male and female he created them immediately we have a, a binary in terms of gender Now, in a world that's seeming to want to do away with any kind of distinctions of what gender uh, and biological sex actually looks like, this is really important for us to see that the Bible is very, very clear about these things. And I believe that in this day and age, this is a freedom worth standing and fighting for. It's worth us taking the pelters and not looking popular in order that we can raise our children to believe that the Bible is true, uh, even if everyone disagrees. So I think that's what it's spoken to me. So, verse 6 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish now what what do people think of when they read that verse what what kind of strikes you about that final verse for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish anything popping up well all the way through the psalm like I said we've had this direct comparison haven't we between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked and here we're reaching basically the culmination of that And we'd expect, I think anyway, in this verse, that there would be a direct contrast again. That we would have the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but he does not know the way of the wicked. That's naturally how I'd expect to read it. But in fact, it's not. The psalmist just tells us that the way of the wicked will perish. So on one hand, the Lord will know the way of the righteous. On the other hand, the way of the wicked will perish. So there's something about being known by God that keeps us as the righteous in Christ from perishing. So God's knowing here, his knowing of the way of the righteous, it's got to mean more than simply being cognizant or being conscious of our way. His knowing isn't just passive. It's not like we have knowledge. Like I may have knowledge of that tree. I could tell you that uh, the bark is a kind of gray gray color. Uh, I could tell you roughly how tall that tree is, but God's knowledge isn't that type of knowledge here it's not just a bare consciousness his knowing isn't passive in this sense it's active God's knowing of your journey of your path is active his knowing actively does stuff to your journey it's an active protection and a sustaining of your person along your journey through life and I find that wonderful that truth It's an active protection. I think, in fact, the NIV version translates this verse slightly differently. Something like, and the Lord watches over the path of the righteous, the way of the righteous. Have you got that there? Yeah. Yeah. In the Greek Septuagint, the word is literally just he knows, or he is knowing. It's a present tense verb. But you can see in the Hebrew there's a slightly different meaning to this and that really does convey this idea of God watching over like a parent watching over its child path. Like whenever we walk up this path here after school with Tilly and Phoebe, there was a few months where Tilly was just like a newborn fawn, wasn't she, on her legs? And she she tripped up once along this path really badly and it wasn't good. So we will watch over this path whenever she's running on it. We'll, oh, be careful, you know, watch out. We're constantly watching over it. And that is the The kind of meaning that this verse actually conveys to us is that God is doing that for you. That in your walk through life, God is doting on you. He's watching over you to protect you, to ensure you don't come a cropper. And so since the way of the wicked perishes, this tells us that God doesn't know it in the same way that he knows your path. God doesn't know the path of the wicked. Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because I think it's quite a big thing to say that God doesn't know something. So I'm going I'm to read uh, a couple of quotes to you just now. One from St. Augustine. Now, St. Augustine, does anybody know who he was? St. Augustine was one of the church fathers. He was around in the 400s AD. And uh, a theologian, really important thinker in the early church. And he said this this verse is expressed more plainly that this should be not to be known of the lord namely to perish and this to be known of the lord namely to abide so literally being known of god is to abide and not being known of god is to perish now this is quite hard to get a grasp on so i'll try and explain it but that old style of writing is a bit different to what we have now. And this wasn't originally written in English either. But it says this. So as that, to be, or to be, should appertain to the knowledge of God, but to his not knowing not to be. Now that's, that kind of screwed with my head a little bit. And then he finishes off with saying this. For the Lord saith, I am that I am, and I am hath sent me. So you know how God's name, Yahweh, you can translate it as, as I am. I am that I am okay and what uh, Augustine is saying here is literally that to be the essence of being that you have right now you're alive and you will be alive forever you're not going to perish if you're in Jesus Christ the essence of that very life that being is rooted and founded in God's knowledge of you you are because God knows you that's what he's saying and those who perish perish because god ultimately does not know them you know that the um in that jesus says doesn't he? Says, away from me i never knew you i never knew you are we saying then that there are things that god doesn't know that there are things that he's either ignorant of or is prohibited from knowing not at all we're not saying that we're not saying that god's having to learn new facts or that there are certain people he just he just didn't expect to pop up. It's not that we're saying that. Um, I think actually that that idea that there are some things that God doesn't know is actually one of the most dangerous ideas out there in modern Christianity. It's actually called open theism. I don't know if you've heard of it. Artie um, Kendall wrote a book called Whatever Happened to the Gospel, which I really would recommend. And in that, there's a chapter on open theism. And I think that's actually a really dangerous worldview. In fact, I heard one preacher uh, in one class I was once running stand up and say, you know what, God can't do anything without your permission. Now, that is the essence of open theism, is that God just doesn't know the future. He's waiting on you to unlock that future. And it's as new to him as it is to you when it all unfolds. Now, now I think that presents some pretty big problems, because if that's the case, how does prophecy work? Prophecy is pretty biblical, right? You've got Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah speaking about future events. You've got Isaiah, you know, prophesying about a king way off in the future, Cyrus. How could that happen if God doesn't know the future? If things are all just completely random, prophecy is kind of defunct, isn't it? It doesn't work. So I don't think it really tarries with a biblical worldview, the idea that God doesn't know stuff. And I think it's very dangerous as a Christian to believe that God somehow isn't in control of this, you know? So... We're not saying that God doesn't know the sinner in the sense that he doesn't know of them. He didn't create them. We believe in concordance with the author of Hebrews that since God is God, he knows all things. In fact, in Hebrews it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And also we agree in this church here with the Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians. And in chapter 1, verse 11, it says that God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. So God isn't, God isn't dependent on human beings in order to accomplish what he wants. He uses human beings. He uses your will in order to accomplish his purposes, but he's not hamstrung by it. He's never thwarted by us in our freedom of will. Okay, um, I like the way that, uh, well, first off, before saying this quote from John Gerstner, I think it's important to say that you know, we believe that God doesn't only know all things, but actually that he sovereignly decrees everything that comes to pass. That, that means that, like Paul said, that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he actually decrees everything that's happening so even in your life right now the sets of circumstances that you're dealing with even the challenges God decreed those things and I believe that's what the Bible teaches but sometimes that can get people confused can't it well they think well if that's true are you saying that God sent this particular thing into my life or that God made me ill um, God broke this relationship that I had and caused me all that pain well I like to I, I like to sort of well I actually heard this quote the other day and I, and I found it explained it better than I ever could there's a man called John Gerstner he was a, a theologian in the United States and uh, he said this though God ordains and knows all things which come to pass including the way of the wicked he isn't the author of all things. So God ordains all things. He doesn't necessarily author all things. You see, God is not the author of sin because God can't sin, can he? He's holy, he's perfect, he's he's righteous. So there are things that God can't do. He literally can't sin, right? So he can't be the efficient, as we use in philosophy that word, efficient cause of sin in that he didn't sin in the garden Adam and Eve sinned in the garden although that was within God's decree he didn't just know it was going to happen he decreed it was going to happen and in fact the state that you and I end up in in Jesus Christ as redeemed children of God is more glorious than the state that Adam and Eve had in the garden ultimately So you can see how God used sin in order to bring about a greater purpose. You know, he used the greatest sin of all time, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the only sinless person that's ever lived, in order to bring about the redemption of all of his people. Isn't that wonderful? So God uses sin, but he doesn't author sin. He is not the one sinning. Does that make sense? God ordains all things. All things happen within his will. He doesn't necessarily author those things. If you want to read more background on that, I I recommend read Isaiah 10. Read Isaiah 10. And in there, you have God accomplishing his purposes through a wicked and evil, tyrannical king, the king of Assyria. So you have the king of Assyria doing whatever's in his heart to do, which is just all bad. (laughs) And You've got God ordaining that and saying, I'm choosing to use this wicked king to accomplish my will. But then after that, after he completes after he completes all that's in his heart to do which is bad i'm actually going to judge him for it i'm going to judge him for it even though it was in my my predestining will to that he would do these things i'm still going to hold him accountable and this kind of boggles the mind doesn't it but but it's there and I, and i think ultimately god is in control of the universe he's, he's not learning new things So we're not saying I know this has taken a while to establish We're not saying God doesn't know stuff But we're saying this type of knowledge That's being talked about in verse 6 Is more than just knowing stuff It's more than knowing that 2 and 2 is 4 It's a real Active knowledge It does stuff, it changes things So Turn my page so yeah, Augustine said again, As he will say to last uh, sorry, as he will say at last to such as are placed on his left hand at the day of judgment, I know you not. Now what is that which he knows not? Who knows all things, both good and evil in man? But what is the meaning of the words I know you not, unless it be that you are now such as I never made you? So if God's knowing of the way of the righteous is more than just bare knowledge, what is it? It's a constant care. God's knowing of your path is a constant care and an unwavering protection and guidance. God not only cares who are his, he knows their journey in life. He sees your path. He chose it for you. And as a Christian, I I know for me that it's, it's no accident that I'm here at this stage of my life, meeting out in a field in HCC, rather than at life spring, as I was. I know this is no accident. This was in the providence of God. I'm experiencing the things I'm experiencing, and you, as you're in Christ, are experiencing the things that you're experiencing because God has ordered those steps for you. He's ordered your steps, every single one of them, all of them that you'll take in life. And we know that all who are in Christ, there'll be no missteps, okay? Okay. There'll be no missteps. I, I think it's Todd Friel who said, responding to a question from somebody who was saying, Oh, how do I know that I'm in the place where God wants me right now? And he said, oh, I can tell you how you know, how you can know that is that you're here. Right? How do I know whether I'm in the right place where God wants me right now because you are here? <laughs> right? God's got you exactly where He wants you because He knows your way. No matter how many momentary failures trials and dark days you endure he'll ensure that you're ultimately victorious because he knows your path he knows your journey Charles Spurgeon said this he's constantly looking on their way and though it may be often in mist and darkness the Lord knows it if it be in the clouds and tempest of affliction he understands it he numbers the hairs of our head he will not suffer any evil to befall us and I just think that's incredible it's an awesome thing to be known by God not just to be known in terms of him being conscious of you but to be known in every and sorry in every possible way this sort of knowledge I think is best described as love God's knowing of your path is love it's protection how many of you I would ask have known God's love for you this week have you seen God's love of your of your journey this week? Have you recognised His care over your path? I know that I have. You know, Jesus said in John ten, He said, uh, "I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me." There's this idea of knowing again, and I think Jesus is talking here not just about a, a sort of a knowledge of you in terms of how he knew that you would at some stage come to know him i think this is an intimate deep knowledge he knows you by name and he says that you know him he said my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand how does jesus know that because he knows every single one of his sheep he knows all of you he's ordained every single one of your days and he's going to make sure that at the last you don't fall away but you come to him that you finish the race well and for me i think that's really really encouraging especially when i don't feel that i'm particularly in control especially when i don't feel necessarily that i'm doing the best job possible of living out this christian life the bible tells me that i will ultimately finish the race well because god knows me not because of anything in me not because i'm making all the right choices necessarily but simply that god will lead me ultimately to finish my race well so i would just say this before we finish and pray i'd encourage us let's put our way our path our journey before god today let's let's commit it again to him and let's acknowledge that it's god and not us who truly author our journey in life that you know what we give God the glory for where we're at right now I know many of you personally have not endured the easiest journey over the last few months the same has been true of me and it can be very easy in those moments to look at God and say Lord why? why? what have I done wrong? why am I on this path? why have I ended up here? but in fact what the Bible says is that each of your steps is ordered none of them will be a misstep that god has you here for a reason as romans 8 28 says that he'll work all things together for good to those who love him so that means that they'll be good not just in a kind of big sense but they'll be good to you god will make them good to you ultimately even if in the moment it seems kind of confusing and painful We've got that promise from the Bible that God's ultimately going to work them to good for us. So I'd say that let's, let's just finish in, in a time of, uh, of discussion and prayer and let's just commit our ways to God. So I'd love for us to just break into smaller groups for a moment and um, just confide in one another. If there have been sort of you know challenges along that journey that you just want to commit in prayer to God again today, um, i really enjoy if we could, t- could take a moment to do that and just, just pray for one another that we would have joy on this journey, knowing confidently, <laughs> Dave's got a new haircut, <laughs> knowing confidently that God is overseeing it and he's carefully watching over us. OK, so let, let's take a moment and, uh, and do that.